I did, yeah. You got me. That, uh, this the first one I didn't fall for, but the second one, I, I was, yeah. Raring to go. It was like a false ending. I, I love his energy. I was ready. Thank you. <laughs> I was talking with Bert Dyson before the service. Um, his Sunday school class was studying Revelation today. I think Tim Sickberg taught that class today uh, in, in the DFW class. And, and then the song, when, when they sang that second verse, and when I stand on, on heaven's shore, you know, and I was like, that's it. That's what we're talking about today. It's all coming together. And I just got so excited that uh, as soon as they said, Alleluia, it was soft, and you did this. And I was like, that means it's over, right? So <laughs> apparently not. Uh, I was ready, though. It's, it's neat how the Lord brings these things together, isn't it? It's neat how the Holy Spirit is active and moving in this place, and uh, it fires me up and uh, gets me excited. So I hope you're fired up and you're excited this morning, too, uh, about what the Lord's doing at Woodmont Baptist Church uh, today. The holidays are upon us. This is Thanksgiving week. You may have noticed at Hillsborough High School, they're selling Christmas trees already. The Boy Scouts or whoever does that, they're doing that in Grassland, out where I live, too. We are, our staff's planning Advent. Andy's designed a beautiful Christmas poster that has all the uh, events that are going to be happening here during the Christmas season. But uh, how many of you have already decorated your house with some Christmassy type things? How many of you have, a, anybody have Christmas stuff up at their house? Yes, excellent, Wendy. Yeah, I love the Robins are ahead of schedule. I like it. How many of you are really against doing anything Christmassy until Thanksgiving's over? Yeah, Logan, I can tell you're a, you're a stickler for that kind of thing. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, wherever you stand, I, I hope that this, this week is a special week for you and your family, that you do pause to give thanks this week before the craziness and insanity of Christmas all strikes. This week is our chance to focus on gratitude on placing our thanks where our thanks truly belong to the high and the holy God of the universe who has given us all that we have and each breath is a gift from him alone. Last week in our service, we had kind of a reality check as we read Psalm 46 that reminded us that in our present situation, no matter what's happening politically, no matter what's happening with an interim at Woodmont, no matter what's happening with our family situation, that the Lord is with us, that Jesus Christ is in the midst of his people, and that he is our present help in times of trouble. We gave thanks to God for our present situation is secure with him, and we are grateful for that, that we don't have to worry about whatever's going on today in our lives because Jesus Christ, Lord Sabaoth, the commander of the angel armies of heaven, is on our side, and he fights with us today. So we read verse 9 also in Psalm 46 that says God makes wars cease and he breaks the, the bow and he shatters the spear. And we, we talked about how we still have wars, right? As our president-elect is assembling his national security team right now, there are lots of uncertainties about conflicts that are raging still in Iraq and in Syria. We know that violence still continues in our world. 
This led Charles Spurgeon, the, the prince of preachers, to ask the question that I, I said last week, when shall verse 9 literally be performed? When will the Lord break through our world and say, enough? When will he finally end all wars and violence? I told you last week that we were going to deal with that question today. Today, we're going to talk about being grateful not only for our present, which we are grateful for, but we're also grateful for the future hope that we have as Christians in Christ Jesus. Let's read our text for this morning, Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 25. Would you stand for the, the reading of God's word this morning? The prophet writes the word of the Lord, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people." No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may have a seat. Have you ever recorded a, a, a big sporting event to watch later? Uh, maybe you couldn't watch it live, so you recorded it on your, your DVR or whatever, so you could play it back later and, and watch the sporting event. If you've ever done that, then you know that you can't look at your phone during the time before you recorded it, the time you watch it. The reality is that that game is already over. The outcome has truly been decided, but you want to watch it and not know. So you, you don't check social media, that's a big no-no. You don't, you don't look at text messages because people are going to be saying, wasn't that a great game? I can't believe so-and-so won. You don't want to hear from anybody about the outcome because you want to enjoy the, the suspense and the drama that goes into the stories of sports that, that draws us into that. I know a, a pastor friend of mine who loves golf. He, he loves to watch golf on TV. I'm not a huge TV golf person, but he loves to watch it on TV. And one year, his church uh, planned a Palm Sunday service on the final day of the Masters tournament. And it was at 4 p.m., which is right when things are getting heated at the, the final day of the Masters. And so this pastor, you know, was supposed to come to this service and, and do a communion thing. He was supposed to, you know, say his words over the table and administer the elements. And so he said, okay, I got a plan. I'm going to show up like a few minutes late. I'm going to slip in the back. Okay, I'm not going to talk to anybody. 
and then when it's time for me to do my thing, I'm going to come to the front, do the pastor thing over the elements, and then uh, I'll, I'll slip out after the communion time. And so he, 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 did, he did it. It worked great. His plan was going great. He slipped in. No one said anything to him in the back. He came down front to do his pastor thing at the, the communion time. And then when he invited people to come forward and take the elements at the tables, there were tables set up across the front. He was standing behind one of the tables making sure they didn't run out of juice or, or, or wafers. And uh, one guy came up to receive the elements. It's this beautiful time of, of reflecting on, on the suffering and life of Jesus Christ. And uh, one guy takes the elements and leans forward to the pastor and whispers, Hey, preacher, did you hear Bubba one? <laughs> he, was, he was deflated because he had to go home and watch it, knowing now that there's no suspense, that Bubba had won the Masters, and that now it took all the fun out of it for him. But, you know, for, for people who are playing sports, it's a lot different than people who watch sports, isn't it? When you're intimately involved as a coach or an athlete in the competition that's going on, it's not as enjoyable all the time, the suspense and the drama. A lot of times, you'd be better off knowing how this thing was going to play out. It would help you play better. Imagine if Bubba had known what this pastor had known, that he was going to win the tournament. If Bubba had known that, he could relax. He could sit back and enjoy the golf tournament with his friends. He could just enjoy knowing that the triumph had already been won and it would take all the pressure and the, the stress and anxiety out of it for him. Well, for us who are participants in the life of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the end of the story has already been told to us. We know the outcome, how the story of everything ends. God's word gives us a picture of what is going to happen at the end of the story. A day when all wars and all strife will cease. A day when, when poverty and disease and injustice will end forever. Even death itself will die on this day because the Bible tells us on this day the Lord will create a new heavens and a new earth. Look at verse 17 again. Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Remember that. All the things that you're worried about and stressed about, they're not going to be remembered. One day they too will pass. They, the, the things that we think define our lives right now will not even be remembered in eternity. But be glad, he says in verse 18, and rejoice forever in that which I create for behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. So the story of everything ends with a whole new creation. Just like Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, the end of the story is God creates a new heaven and new earth. The bookends of the biblical meta-narrative, the big story of everything, are creation and new creation. That's how the story ends. It's not just about heaven. It's about new creation. God says here to be glad in that which I create. Enjoy my creation. The word that's used here in the Hebrew for create is bara, And it's only used of God. Only God baras. Only God creates. Humans, we just fashion things. We, we do things with what God has created right? We don't, we don't create things of our own. Only God can bara. 
science bears this fact out, right? This church is unbelievably blessed with at least, I counted seven at least PhD research scientist types who do incredible work. They're like curing cancer and doing amazing things right here in Nashville. Uh, it's an incredible group of scholars and brilliant people that we have here. So correct me when I mess this up. Okay, I know I will, but I think it's the first law of thermodynamics that includes the idea of conservation of energy. That energy can neither be created nor destroyed ever. There's only a certain amount of it because God created it. There's a theological explanation behind the law of thermodynamics. The same thing is true with the law of the conservation of mass, right? In a, in a system, mass cannot be created nor destroyed. Only God creates. We simply do things with what God has created. So what will this be like this new creation that God will barah for us. Keep reading verse 19. I will rejoice in Jerusalem, God says, and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. We know there'll be no more crying in the new Jerusalem. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. We're told that there's not going to be cries of distress and every infant will see maturity and the elderly will not be deprived of the fulfillment of a full life. And death in this passage is just a metaphor because we know that there will be no death in the kingdom of heaven and the new creation of the new heaven and new earth. Because back in Isaiah 25, verses 7 and 8, the same prophet told us that God will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all the faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Death itself will die. Revelation 20 talks about how God will take death and throw it into the lake of fire to be destroyed forever. Death is not the end of the story. So what else is the new creation like? Let's keep reading verses 21 and 22. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. So it says there will be work in the new heavens and new earth. That may be a surprise for you, but it won't be like earthly work. Have you ever had a day at work where you left that day of work feeling totally satisfied and totally filled up and saying, that was a great day of work. I feel like the Lord really used me to make a difference at work today. Or maybe you, you felt like, I felt like I fulfilled my purpose at work. I feel like I was doing exactly what the God of the heavens has created me to do and gifted me to do. I've had a few of those days. Maybe I hope you have. But have you also had other days where you left work feeling tired? Have you had days where you left work feeling drained, frustrated, incomplete, unsatisfied with the day's labor? Which one is more common for you? If, if the latter is more common for you, don't panic. That's the way things are in this fallen world ever since Genesis 3, where the Lord God cursed work itself. 
There is an element of work that is now broken and fallen because of sin. In Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve brought the curse of sin into the world that plunged the entire cosmos into death and darkness and decay, work was affected. He says to them in Genesis 3, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorn and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. See, after this point, work became toilsome. It became labor. In the new creation, work will be completely satisfying. It'll be like those best days where you feel like you're doing exactly what God made you to do. That's what it's going to be like every day. You're not going to sit around floating on clouds playing harps. <laughs> you're going to be working, but it's going to be satisfying and totally fulfilling work and meaningful. The Hebrew word here for long enjoy, it says we're going to long enjoy the work of our hands. The Hebrew word literally means to wear it out. It says we're going to wear out the enjoyment of our work. We're going to enjoy it to the maximum extent. We're going to enjoy it to the fullest. That's the promise of work in the new heaven and new earth. Then look at verse 23. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Our labor will not be in vain anymore, and our families will no longer suffer brokenness in the family structures. What pain do parents go through watching their children suffer, myself included? I, I had to hold my one-year-old son strapped to my chest when they were giving him allergy tests. You know how they do this? They give him like 30 different stabs in the back and see how it reacts. And I sat there watching this doctor poke my son with a sharp object 30 times. And I screamed hysterically, and it, it about broke my heart. It was so hard to endure as a parent. Families encounter brokenness in this life, but no more in the new heaven and new, or, or new earth. Let's finish the passage off in verses 24 and 25. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. Again, Genesis 3 comes to mind when the Lord cursed Satan. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. So just as it was in Eden, before sin plunged the, the creation into violence, so it will be again in the new heavens and new earth. In the new heavens and new earth, all nature will be in harmony once again with its creator as God intended for it to be. Have you seen those Planet Earth documentaries on, on TV? I don't know what channel it's on. Animal Planet, maybe? They're amazing. They're absolutely mind-blowing. They, they capture some of the most crazy uh, stuff that happens in nature. It's so wild, the things they show, and the, the, the angles that they get about these animals in nature. But one thing is immediately clear from watching these documentaries. Nature is brutal. Nature is brutal. You have spiders who eat their mates. You have some animals who eat their young. You have some animals who uh, put venom that paralyzes in whatever it is that they touch. Nature is truly a, a brutal, pl brutal place. As the British poet Alfred Lord Tennyson put it, who trusted God was love indeed and creation's final law, though nature read in tooth and claw with ravine streaked against his creed. Nature's red in tooth and claw. 
But at the end of the story, we're told here that all nature will be at peace, that the lion will lay down with the lamb, that all creation will be ordered rightly as it was in the Garden of Eden. So some of you may not be familiar with this concept, this idea of a new heavens and a new earth. Most of the time when we say heaven, we're, we're really talking about the new heaven and new earth, right, in reality. The, this is not a new idea that I'm making up or that it's only referenced here in Isaiah 65. It's a deeply biblical concept in both the Old and New Testaments, the new heavens and new earth. 2 Peter 3, I think it'll be on the screen. 2 Peter 3.13 says, But according to God's promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. According to his promise, we are waiting. God has promised us here in the book of Isaiah that he will do this. He will create a new heavens and new earth. Our job is to now trust that promise, to simply dwell secure in the belief and the trust that God will do what he says he's going to do, to believe the promise of God and not the promises of this world is our job now. And the Apostle John got to see it. In Revelation 21, what the DFW class studied this morning, it says, John the Revelator says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. You see, heaven is not our home. Heaven is not the end, because it says here, heaven will pass away. According to the Bible, we're destined for the new heaven and new earth, Heaven will pass away, according to the Bible. The sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which God creates, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is not a new concept. Again, our old hymns teach this concept. At the end of This Is My Father's World, it says, Jesus who died shall be satisfied, and earth and heaven be one. Right? Earth and heaven are going to become one when the new heaven and new earth are created. That's what we're looking forward to. Keep reading. God will dwell with his people there. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isaiah 25 tells us that. And death shall be no more. Again, Isaiah 25. Neither shall there be mourning. That's Isaiah 65. Nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. All the things that we stress about, they're going to pass. He who is seated on the throne said in verse 5, Behold, I am making all things new. The reason that we can celebrate Thanksgiving this week, the reason that we can live with gratitude in our hearts, no matter what comes, is because of the hope <clears throat> that we have in the promise of a new creation. The hope, the robust Christian hope, the historic Orthodox Christian hope that one day the Lord is going to finish the work of redemption that he started in Jesus Christ. This is true hope that every tear will be wiped away, that all the wrongs in this world will be made right one day that death itself will die, and that God himself will dwell intimately here with us and his people, and we will see him. We will truly know him face 
to face. Think about it. It's impossible, really, to live a grateful life if you're convinced the future is bleak. If you're convinced things are going to get worse, if you're convinced the end is not good, how can you say thank you? Christian hope enables gratitude. Hope enables gratitude. If you have no hope, you cannot be thankful. I'm convinced of that. In, in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul tells us, give thanks in all circumstances. How is that possible? Because we know how it ends. No matter what our circumstances are, we can still say thank you. Consider Job, the book of Job. You know that he was a righteous man and he experienced the loss of his fortune, of his livestock, of his servants, and even his children who died in an accident when a house fell on him. Even then, he still gave thanks to God. When his servant comes and says, your children were all killed, he says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How could he say this? How could he say this when all hope seem lost? How could he say this in the midst of calamity? Is he being naive? We, we would say he may be calloused or numb here if, he, if someone said this today. But he's, he's not being that at all. Job has a strong hope, a certainty and trust in the knowledge of the promise of God for his future. In chapter 19, he tells his buddies who came to, to counsel him, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes, the third time, he's really obsessed with this idea of seeing God. My eyes shall behold, and not another, me. My eyes, my heart faints within me to think about seeing God face to face as he truly is. Our Redeemer lives. It's true. And at the last, he will stand upon the new heavens and new earth, and we shall behold him with our own eyes. Does your heart faint within you when you think about that? Our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And the word redeem here means to, to exchange something for something. The, the Lord has purchased the redemption of the world through his Son, Jesus Christ through the precious atoning blood of Jesus. He has bought it all back and redeemed it for himself. That's the key in Christian hope. And that, that the triune God has promised to do it again, to send his son again to finish the work of redemption. One final time, will he break into our world and say, enough, no more politics, no more 24-hour news cycles, stop it. No more lying, cheating, stealing. No more poverty. No more uh, refugees fleeing war-torn countries. No more uh, oppression. No more broken marriages and broken families. No more uh, injustice suffered by the least of these in our world. No more fraction and division among my church. No more will the elderly be mistreated or will infants and the unborn be mistreated? I will set all the wrongs right one day for I'm here to make all things new again. 
That's the promise of redemption that we hold to as Christians. Yes, we who are Christians and have been baptized into Christ's death and resurrection have redemption from our sins now. It's true. Jesus died for our sins. We've been forgiven and cleansed. But our hope is more than just the fact that we can die and go to heaven now, isn't it? Our hope is that all the wrongs in this world are going to be fixed. All the injustices that we see around us every day will be accounted for someday. That is true Christian hope. Heaven is not our ultimate hope, but it's a new heaven and a new earth that we claim. Only a redeemer can do that. And there is a redeemer. It's Jesus, God's own son, blessed lamb of God, the Messiah, the anointed one, the holy one of Israel, our savior. And when I stand in glory, I will see his face. And there I'll serve my king forever in that holy place, the holy mountain of the Lord in the new heaven and the new earth. This morning, if you've never experienced the redemption of Jesus Christ for the first time, I invite you to make that decision this morning.